In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been hanging around Ivan Rest Church for the last 15 years while I've been here, you probably realize that when it comes to fashion, I am no fashion star. In fact, it was just a few months ago that somebody finally helped me update my wardrobe. They thought 20 years was a bit long to be wearing the same stuff. Um, I will always, maybe you're like me, I will always choose comfort over fashion. Okay, if the clothes are comfortable, that's what I'll wear, which is why I brought with me my favorite pair of boots this morning. These are the most comfortable boots that you will ever find. I bought these probably about seven years ago. In fact, they're so comfortable, I'm going to take off my uncomfortable Sunday shoes and put my boots on this morning. All right, I bought these Merrill boots about seven years ago. I was going to go hiking in Colorado, and on the uh, to bring list was a good pair of hiking boots. So I spent more than I've ever spent on a pair of shoes in my life, I think, and I bought these Merrill boots. And I broke them in, and they have become my favorite footwear of all time. Okay, if I'm not wearing my slippers, if I have a choice, I'll be wearing these boots. Um, Now, it's interesting, if you have a pair of boots like these, or any kind of outdoor shoes like these, what you probably will see is on the back, there's these little loops, these little tiny straps um, that are there so that when you put your boots on, when it's a little tight, you just give those straps a good yank and you can pull your boot on nice and tight. They're called boot straps. You probably have boot straps on your boots, whether you've ever noticed it or not. Now, I don't really need those boot straps that much. I can get my boots on fine by myself. But those boot straps probably aren't that useful here, but they've become kind of an American phrase, haven't they? They've come to represent an American value that we hold too tightly, right? You know the phrase. We value, we celebrate people who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. That's what they're talking about. These things, people who, who make it in life, who succeed in life without any outside help. That's what it means. They can do it on their own. They come from a lowly beginning and they pull themselves up. They don't need anybody, right? We, if you're a Tiger fan, you know that Mike Illich, the owner of the Tigers, passed away just a couple days ago. And if you've read stories about him, you, you realize that's the story that they're telling, that he's somebody who pulled himself up by his own bootstraps, right? He came here as the son of a Macedonian immigrant with almost nothing, door-to-door salesman, began making pizzas, founded Little Caesars, now is a multi-billionaire, right? Pulled himself up, by his own bootstraps. We love those stories. Now that, that, that idea of pulling us up by your own bootstraps that we love so much, we kind of forgotten the truth. The truth is that it's impossible to do. I can reach down here. I can pull these bootstraps as hard as I want. You know what? I'm not going up. I cannot pull myself up by my own bootstraps. In fact, that, that kind of thought, that idea, that ridiculousness of it started back, the first story was back in 1781. There's a story about, about a man riding his horse, and he accidentally rides right into the middle of a swamp. And his horse, he and his horse together begin to sink into this swamp. And he's desperate to, to be saved, and there's no one else around. So what he does is he grabs onto his own ponytail, and he pulls with all his might, and he pulls himself and his horse right out of the swamp. Not possible, is it? A little more 
comfortable to pull your bootstrap in your ponytail. But either way, you can't do it. It doesn't work. And yet this, this bootstrap thinking has worked its way into the church, into our Christian thoughts. See, it, it takes its own spiritualized form when, when we echo the mantra, as Mindy mentioned, that God helps those who help themselves. Okay, there is no chapter or verse attached to that phrase. It's not in the Bible, and yet 80% of Americans believe that you can find that phrase in the Bible. So if you thought it was in the Bible, you're in good company. 80% of Americans think it's in there. So this morning, we need to look at this book. And we need to look at our, our tendency towards bootstrap thinking to see what Scripture has to say about that. Does God really help those who help themselves? Is it true? Okay, there's three things that I want us to, to recognize this morning. The first thing that we need to see is that at the very core and foundation of our faith, at the very core and foundation of our relationship with God, we need to boldly declare this phrase to be false. Because when it comes to our salvation, every single one of us must admit that we desperately need God. Okay, I would guess most of us would nod our heads in agreement. If you've grown up in the church, if you know anything about God, yes, of course I need God. We know that we're not perfect. We're willing to admit that we're not perfect and that we need God's grace, right? Salvation by grace through faith. But I would guess that most of us especially those of us who have been in the church for a long time, forget just how desperately we need God. We miss that desperate part. Because we tend to come to believe as, as we grow up in the church, as we live you know, pretty good Christian lives, we come to believe that we can do some, some spiritual bootstrap pulling on our own, right? That, that we start... And that God just kind of finishes that salvation job for us, right? God helps those who help themselves. And if we begin that process, God will finish it. So we reach up to God, and in return, God reaches down to us, and we get a relationship with him. We, we kind, of, kind of imagine that salvation task and journey as, as a ladder, right? So the truth is, you and I have have been separated from God. There's a distance. Let's say God is up there. I realize God's everywhere. Let's pretend that God's up there. And, and there's this huge gap that we, I can't be in relationship with God. That's what sin has done. We tend to believe now that, okay, here's, we, we need to put this ladder to get closer to God, to reconnect with him. And, and I can work on these rungs. Right, so, so when I'm a pretty good person, I get myself a bit closer to, to salvation, to, to a relationship with God, right? I'm a pretty good person. And, and when I work on my, the disciplines of the Christian life, when I read the Bible more, when I pray more, th then I put a rung on this ladder. I'm getting closer to God. And when I understand his commands, like the Ten Commandments and all those things, I shape my life by those, I, I get a little bit closer to God. And I do my best, right? I do all that I can to live in a right relationship with God but there's a couple rungs at the end here that, that I just can't do. That's where grace comes in, right? 
That's when God now reaches down to me and he finishes the job. The last few rungs, God pulls me up. It's a great illustration, a good image, and it's completely wrong. That's exactly not the way that it works. It's exactly the opposite. We need to understand that fully, especially as people who have grown up in the church who begin to tend to think that, hey, I'm pretty good. That impresses God. That makes God want to be in a relationship. I've kind of begun the process, and God finishes it off. God helps me because I've helped myself. Take out your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, Paul talks specifically about this. Okay, he's talking about about our salvation process. And, and he's talking about how we're made right with God. How does this ladder work? How far up do we climb before God reaches down and grabs a hold of us? Uh, listen, first of all, to just verses 1 and 2. It tells, those verses tell us what we're talking about. So here's the context. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope and the glory of God. Okay, he's talking about being in relationship with God. We have peace with God. This relationship, this saving relationship is real. Okay, but listen to what he says, how this happens. Skip down to verses 6, 7, and 8, that little paragraph. Here's what he says. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to hear this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The key word of this passage, you remember, comes in verse 6. He says, at just the right time, when we were still powerless. Powerless. Means there is no rung on this ladder that I was able to, to accomplish. There is nothing I was able to do to make myself a little more right with God. There's nothing I could do to, to begin this process of salvation. I am powerless when it comes to my salvation journey. I desperately need God because I can do zero on my own. I can't help him one bit. Ephesians 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So when we tend to believe and start to let that thought sink into our heads and into our our spiritual hearts and say, yeah, God helps those who help themselves. So I start this salvation relationship and God then reaches down and finishes it. Wipe that idea out of your mind. I can do nothing. I am desperately in need of God because when it comes to my salvation, I am powerless. That's what grace is all about. That's the first lesson we need to learn. Secondly, we need to know that God's word again and again points towards community, right? This kind of community. And the truth that we desperately need each other. 
Yeah, we like to believe, don't we? We like to believe that in our faith journey, as we learn to live life out together in faith, that we really don't need anyone else. We can do this on our own. That it's kind of a me and God relationship, right? What's important is me and God, and, and everybody else is kind of a bonus, kind of extra if you want it. And I'm good enough with just me and God. I don't really need to worship with all of you. I can, I can worship God on my own and I'll be just fine. I, I really don't need a Bible study. I really don't need a small group because I can read the Bible on my own. I really don't need people praying for me because I can make it on my own, just me and God. I really don't need a small group to share my struggles and to share my joys. Me and God is good enough. We like to believe that we are strong enough that we're good enough on our own. Don't really need each other. But the message that God gives us again and again in his word is that just as we desperately needed God, we desperately need each other. We cannot, we cannot make it through this journey on our own. We are designed by God to be in community together. Think about, think about the picture we get in Acts chapter 2 of that very first church community, the very first people who believed in Jesus and they made the church together in Acts chapter 2. And we see, we see how they work together at the very start. And what we see is a group of people who desperately depended on each other. Listen to these words from Acts chapter 2. This is describing that first century community. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. You can't ignore and you can't miss that three times in those verses that talked about them being together. They did these things together. They needed each other in order to be followers of Jesus Christ. They depended on the community. In the face of the opposition and persecution that they faced, they knew that there was no chance that they could pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. It doesn't work. They needed each other desperately. Now, it did not take long. If you read through the New Testament, it did not take long for this sense of independence to begin to pull that community apart, right? It wasn't long before the Apostle Paul was begging the Corinthian believers to heal the divisions that were tearing them apart. That he was teaching them that every part of the body needs each other so he can't pull that body apart. It wasn't long until he was reminding the Galatian believers that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. It wasn't long before he had to urge the Ephesians to bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. 
You can see this community beginning to be pulled apart. And Paul, God through Paul, calling them back together. Saying, you need each other. Hold on to each other. Right? The call to pull each other up in the family of God rings loud and clear today, too. Through all our divisions, through our temptations to believe that we are strong enough and good enough on our own. So, so this past week, I spent some time looking through the Bible for all of the one another passages in the New Testament. When we think about being obedient to God, you know, his commands, we think about, about you know, the Ten Commandments and things like that. I was surprised to see how many commands are about one another, are about being in community together. So if you want to be obedient, listen to these. He says, love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Agree with one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Forgive one another. Teach and admonish one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Offer hospitality towards one another without grumbling. That's a significant cluster of commands about community, about how desperately we need to be together. Because when it comes to us being more and more transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, when it comes to you and me learning what it means to be faithful in this life and finding the strength and the encouragement we need to live faithfully for God in this broken world, we need to begin to realize how desperately we need each other. I need you to pull me up by my bootstraps when I'm falling, when I'm failing. We all need each other to pull each other up by our bootstraps. Because we can't do it on our own. It's impossible. So, so far we've been pretty helpless here, haven't we? And the, the danger is, and it's happened throughout history, the danger is that, that when we have this desperate need for God and we're helpless on our own, we have this desperate need for each other because we need each other so desperately, some of us fall into the temptation and the pattern of of remaining helpless, of thinking I'm completely powerless in this life for anything. Well, the third thing that this book reveals to us is that yes, even though we are completely helpless when it comes to earning and receiving our salvation, and yes, even though we really desperately need each other because we're pretty weak, God does not allow any of us to stay helpless. When it comes to restoring and renewing this broken creation, when it comes to growing God's kingdom in this life and in this world, right here on this earth, when it comes to service done in the name of Jesus Christ, we need to act. This is where we need to move. This is where our initiative plays a part. Because when we act, when we move at the prompting of God and his Holy Spirit in our lives, then God releases his power. 
God comes to release his power through us, and we accomplish more than we would ever be able to ask or imagine, he says. Here is where you and I have the privilege of partnering with God in ministry. Here is where we can experience God lifting us up by our bootstraps as we lift others up by their bootstraps. You see, you see, after God brings us back into a restored relationship with him, he expects more from you and from me than for us to simply accept that gift of salvation and then to sit here on this earth for the rest of our lives just waiting for it to be fulfilled, just waiting to go to heaven. He expects us in the life that he's given us to act, to partner with him to bring his kingdom to this earth, to change this world in his name. So, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? We, we don't sit around our kitchen table and pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread, and then just sit there and wait for the bread to appear. That's not the way God has it work. We pray for God. God, give us this day our daily bread. And then we go shopping, and then we cook the meal, and we put it on the table, and hopefully before we eat it, we say, thank you, God, for providing for us. Right? When, when, when we're looking for direction in our lives, maybe there's a big decision to be made, you don't sit at your kitchen table and simply say, God, I just want to hear your voice. Just give me that direction. And then don't listen to him. And just sit there and wait. No, you ask for God's direction. And then you spend more time praying and more time listening than talking. And then you, you open up the word of God and you listen for direction from his word. And then you, you share your, your request and your, your question with trusted friends who you know are godly people. And you listen to them talk. And when God gives you that direction, you say, thank you, God, for that direction. You don't. At least you shouldn't, and many of us do, pray, God, I pray that my neighbor comes to know Jesus Christ and then completely ignore her. You pray, God, I pray that my neighbor comes to know Jesus Christ, and then you go and you build a relationship with her. And you invite her over for a barbecue in the backyard, and you become friends with her, and she sees your life, and you talk, end up talking about Jesus with her. And when the Holy Spirit moves in her heart and she comes to know Jesus, you say, thank you, God, for your work. You pray and you move, and God acts when we, in faith, move. I love the story that illustrates this, I think, the best, back in Exodus. Exodus chapter 15, 14 is when Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, okay, right? The, the, the ten plagues have come. Pharaoh has finally said, go. And so Moses gathers this whole nation, and they're marching out of, out of Egypt, and they're heading out into freedom. And they soon come to the Red Sea, and they stop. There's a sea in the way. And then they hear that Pharaoh changed his mind again, and he sent his army. And so they're trapped, right? On one side is the sea. They can't go over it. They can't go through it. They can't go under it. And on the other side is is Pharaoh's army coming to chase him down. And the people are furious with Moses. Right? This is one of the first times they say, what would you bring us out here for? You just, gonna, you just want us to die? Did you bring us out here to kill us? They're furious at Moses. Moses is on his knees in prayer to God. And here's what God says to him. 
But then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so the Israelites can go over the sea on dry ground. He says, Moses, get off of your knees. Stop praying. You don't hear that often, do you? Stop praying and do something. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and raise your hand over the water. And once you raise your hand over the water, once you raise your staff over there, guess what? I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to move. I'm going to release my power. But I'm waiting for you to get up and in faith put your hand over that water. God's power was released when Moses got up off of his knees and did something and acted. And I think there's a powerful lesson for all of us there. That the lesson that prayer needs to be combined with action because that's when God starts to move. When we listen to God's Holy Spirit first and his Holy Spirit directs us and then we trust God enough to act, then God moves powerfully because God wants to move in this world. He wants to transform this world. He wants to change lives. He wants to pick people up by their bootstraps. And he wants to do that by releasing his power through you and through me. When we move at his direction, God acts. I love the old African proverb. I, I saw it for the first time at the base of the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. That's the bridge that on Bloody Sunday, the civil rights marchers walked over that bridge and and came face to face with the state troopers and their batons and their dogs, and they walked right into them, right into a beating. And the base of that bridge is this, quoted this African proverb. It simply says, when you pray, move your feet. When you pray, move your feet. I think Jesus gives us the exact same message in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is the story, I hope many of you are familiar with it, of the sheep and the goats. Right? It's the end judgment day and, and the judge is separating the, the, the sheep and from the goats, the good from the bad, those who have earned or have, who are entered into salvation, those who aren't. And what's the difference between the two? Both the sheep and the goats call him Lord, Lord. Both of them know him as Lord, are familiar with him. I would dare say both of them have prayed to him often. What's the difference then? Why were some accepted and some rejected? Well, it all depended on not only what they said, but what they did. Right? Jesus says, when explanation, he said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And this whole story that Jesus tells here is an echoing of the truth that he spoke in Matthew chapter 7. When he said that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of God. 
in response to the grace freely given to us, in faith and courage we act. And God releases his power through us. Then his kingdom comes. Then his will is done on earth as it is in heaven through us. Does God help those who help themselves? Well, when we begin to think that way in our spiritual lives, when we begin to feel self-assured and self-confident, when we're tempted to think that we're pretty good all by ourselves, and when we begin to believe that we can help ourselves, don't really need anyone else, thank you very much. That's when we need to hear the truth of this book once again. That's when we need to remember that when it comes to the truth of our salvation, we desperately need God because we are helpless and powerless on our own. And when it comes to living out a life of faithfulness in this world, we desperately need each other. We need this community of faith because we will fall and we will fail if we try and go it all by ourselves. And when it comes to growing God's kingdom of peace and justice and love right here in our homes and in our neighborhoods and, and in our cities and in our country and in our world, that's when we need to act. That's when we need to serve. Because that's how God most often moves. He pulls people up by their bootstraps through you and through me. So we're going to pray together that we might have the courage to respond to God's direction and to move and to act in faith. Would you pray with me? God, we start by thanking you for your grace. And thank you just seems, that word just seems insufficient. When we realize how powerless we are, how there is nothing that we can do or have done that makes us worthy of your love. And yet in grace, while we were still sinners, while we were still powerless, you reached all the way down and you took hold of our hearts and you claimed us as your own. Thank you, Father, for the work that you have done in our lives, for the free gift of salvation. And now I ask that you'd help us to live out our salvation. You've called us to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that doesn't mean we save ourselves. That means we figure out how to live saved lives right here and right now. We figure out how to live for you. We hear your voice, and when you say go, when you say stretch out your hands so that my power to part the waters might be released, that we dare to stretch out our hands. When you ask us to go so that your power can be released, we go. When you ask us to serve so that your power can be released, we serve. When you ask us to speak so that your power can be released, we speak. When you ask us to give so that your power can be released, we give. When you ask us to love so that your power can be released, we love. 
Give us that kind of courage. And when this world is changed through us, when heaven comes down to this earth because we've acted, you know, we give all the glory and the praise where it belongs. It's is right to you, God. It's your power released through us. It's your grace given to us. It's your strength that enables us to pull others up by their bootstraps. Father, we need you. We need each other. And this world needs you. They need to see you and experience you through us. May we live those kinds of lives. May we love you with that kind of love and experience the true joy that comes from being your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Worship team, would you come on down?